the first rule is always be on offense just as a matter of sheer truism. The only way to win is by being on offense. You can't win just by playing defense in, in sports, in chess, in boxing, in politics. It doesn't work like that. Offense is the mechanism for winning, just by definition. That's what offense is. It's putting points on the board. And, of course, whoever has the most points, or I guess least, uh, if you're talking in terms of golf, uh, whoever has the most points on the board is going to be the victor. And the only way to score points is offense, right? Um, is being on defense, it's necessary. You have to have a good defense. Otherwise, to put it in General Patton's language, right, then the enemy is going to run through you like crap through a goose. You can't just have no no defense. You do have to put up a robust resistance to the enemy's initiatives. But if you're always on defense, no matter how strong your defense is, you will crumble. So even if you're like a great defensive-minded chess player um, and like Tigran Petrosian or something from the 60s uh, in that era of chess, just strong on defense, you know, you know how to build a, a, a tactical defense where you're also going to set yourself up to counterpunch, then you're still going to lose if you're only playing defense. It's just a matter of time. Somebody will find a weakness in your position and then they will exploit it to put it in like Star Wars, what, episode four terms, uh, find a weakness in the Death Star and exploit it. And that's that ultimately will be what happens. So you have to have offense. So we have a truism that like, yeah, defense wins games. But that's assuming that you have in conjunction with defense, a strong offense. You can't. It's not enough just to play defense. You need your offensive players on the field. Yeah, that's why. That's where truisms become dangerous. Is that involves an assumption that's not reciprocally involved the other way around. When if I were to say, no, really, um, offense wins games. It's not assuming I have a great defense. And I guess you know. So platitudes notwithstanding. Defense is just, I'm talking about now uh, less metaphorical uh, implementation of the aphorism and a more literal implementation, more like debate that's, you know, forensics that are done either on TV, on the radio, or like in an in person live debate. I've, I've you know, on radio, I've done pretty much all these forums now in uh, debates one on one. And when the other guy, as it were, the proverbial other guy is going on attack. What you're pretty much waiting to do, this is what I was saying about football, is defensive glorification notwithstanding, you're pretty much waiting just to get back on the sticks and be on offense. And through minimization forensically uh, of his rhetorical point or through a really quick dispellation of whatever he said that that's a kind of strike against you, you're pretty much just trying to minimize the amount of time, take five seconds if that's all it takes uh, to respond to the uh, assaults, the, the ambush by your opponent and to get back on to G on defense. That's what on guard really means. It's, it's a, it's a defensive position. Sure. In, in fencing, but it's the, the defensive position from which you can attack. And right. I, oh, go on. Yeah, I, I just think it's important to not not only talk about it tactically, but to to tell people out there. I, I think the book does this really well. It's uh, people for a second. It's a really fun book. It's a good read. W people need to know that the psychology of humility 
is, and this is the era is Catholics of false humility, right? I mean, we, we are living under Francis the Humble. Um, we are living in the false humility era of LeBron James, King James in the NBA, if you like that. So it's, it's an era of leaders uh, marked by false humility. And that's really what the, I think the defensive glorification is in, in this epoch. You know, Alfred North Whitehead said, you judge an era not by its suppositions, but by its presuppositions. Good guys, nice guys, Ned Flanders is out there. They all talk as if, well, we should really just think defensively. What people all say, I'm not bragging, but what people say when they hear me debate atheists is, dude, Tim, you talk to this guy like he's the idiot. And I do. And that's that's a very, it's, it's uh, logically sound, but it's also rhetorically, I, I think, uh, you know, not overwrought, but it's, it's a well-conceived rhetorical uh, plan because that is the only way to be on offense when you're, when you're struggling for the heart of culture. We're not just talking football to make the other guy answer as if he's the idiot. Right. And that's exactly what modern atheists, if you look at them, what they do is they try to claim the mantle of reason and make us start defending our position. Oh, no, it is reasonable to believe in God. And that's what the instinct is. When somebody starts swinging on you, the instinct is just to cover up and look down and hope you don't get hit. But that's not the right way to fight. You can't fight like that. When an atheist says it's unreasonable to believe in God or in, you know, around Christmas, these obnoxious jerks are always putting up billboards that say like uh, it's the season for reason and all this uh, trying to mock the Christian faith. But what you need to do is no, no, no. Christianity is reasonable. It's unreasonable to be an atheist, put them on their heels, make them back up, make them justify why in this era where we understand that there was a big bang, we understand that, uh, we have something blowing up into being from nothing. We have the the physics to understand that there are boundaries to the universe and that it's expanding and that there, you know, it's not a fixed universe. It's a expanding, non-infinite, finite universe, which almost necessitates just from a scientific viewpoint, the idea that, yes, there is a creator, but also the philosophy is all on our side. We have the strong Thomistic proofs for God. We have um, ontological proofs for God. And that being said, it's unreasonable to be an atheist. So don't say, oh, it is reasonable to be a Christian. Say it's unreasonable to be an atheist. Make them defend themselves. Let's let us swing on them. And when you're defending, it's always a bit of a position of weakness. So yeah, you know what else you're not doing when you're defending is saying what your point of view is. So if you're in a debate and you're defending what somebody else is characterizing as your point of view, You know what you're not doing is saying your point of view, telling the audience your point of view, convincing them of the truth as you see it, as you know it. Yeah, yeah. It's the difference between being in, you know, mamba mentality, killer instinct mode and damage control. When you're in damage control, you are literally attempting to control damage and not more. Your horizons contract. You, as you said, Dave, you cover up and all you're trying to do is to minimize the amount of damage being sustained. So, I mean, I guess the, we're saying we're speeding it, speaking in axioms that are, that are true enough and might make sense when people hear them, you know, unapplied in abstracto. 
kind of the way it's not it's not actually good to just study your calculus by going over the examples in the book and saying, huh, this line makes sense. Yep, this line makes sense. You got to go do problems. This stuff is far less intuitive when you actually go and start doing debates against leftists and atheists and secular humanists, most of all of them in our church nowadays, uh, yourself. It, it, it's far more the bad habits happen almost automatically, as it were, to just cover up. And so it's kind of like watching a good shooter, you know, that never puts his trigger finger inside the trigger, you know, unless he's aiming to shoot. 